been listening to MOD Channel. Hi guys, welcome to my podcast. This is MOG channel where we help you to see a real and practical Christianity from God's word. If you're new here, welcome. If you're returning, welcome back. Today we're going to continue what we started a few days ago when we were looking at pills for your anxiety. Yes, you heard again, pills for anxiety. This should be part three, okay? And we've been basing our text from Matthew chapter six, all right? And going through the motions looking at the fatherhood of god and we said that the fatherhood of god is the solution to anxiety all right let me say that again the fatherhood of god or at least acknowledging the fatherhood of god is the answer to anxiety and that word for anxiety is worry why are we always worried why are we always thinking why are we always overthinking things why are we so so uptight right why do we get so tense with life i mean life is tough <laughs> don't get me wrong life is actually quite serious life can give you lots of things you're not expecting blows um unmet expectations all right and different things of course um what, what's that there's this thing about making something that makes the uh, heart sick something about I, I really can't remember it now but something about um unmet expectations that makes the heart sick or something like that i can if you can remember it's just i mean maybe you can tell me on uh what they call it <laughs> you can remind me on instagram i completely cannot remember but there's something about unmet expectations all right why are we anxious many times there's something that we are looking out for that is not met something maybe it's a need all right or maybe it's a healing it could be something that you want and is not happening okay and that tends to make us anxious it tends to make us uptight but we need not be uptight we need not be anxious because as i said there is a solution okay um we stopped at matthew 6 i think 32 where we said for after all these things the gentiles seek for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things if there's one thing you must draw out of matthew 6 is that you have a father in heaven and the unbelievers don't well he is potentially their father he's their creator he wants to father them but they don't know about his fatherhood the worst part is that believers who know of the fatherhood of god or let me say believers who at least have access to that fatherhood behave the same way as the gentiles do so we're going to be looking or diving a bit deeper into that mindset that philosophy that idea of of just this anxiety and and just explore and see where that leads us, all right? Verse 3 actually says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added. So God addresses worry, and his solution is what? Seek the kingdom. His solution is seek the kingdom. Remember, we said he is father. So there's a correlation, or there's going to be, well, if I want to step it down, there's a relationship between his fatherhood and the kingdom. All right? His fatherhood and the kingdom. There's definitely a relationship. All right? If you remember Jesus, when he was on earth, he said, I must be about my father. Actually, it's father's business in the translations, but I went to check it, and that word father's business is one word in the Greek, and just means father. It's the word Abba, father. All right? I must be about my father. In other words, you take on the identity of the person who 
fathers you or let me yeah i think i'll use that word you, you fatherhood is supposed to confer an identity on you so i must be about my father or what my father is about so it's only normal it's only natural that if you're born again you are about what god is about simple now the gospel is usually an addition to the lives of many believers many people see the gospel as something that you add and we're talking about the gospel here because it says seek ye first the kingdom of god I'm not going to explore that word kingdom in this particular podcast, but that word kingdom, if you actually just do a run through, you see it's the word kingdom is basilia, all right, basilia. Okay, kingdom just means king's domain, where a person has authority, where a king controls his territory. Are you seeing that? And um, Paul gave us a sneak peek. He said the kingdom of God is not in righteous, in not in meat and drink, but in righteousness, in peace, in joy, in the Holy Ghost. So we know the kingdom of God there is not a literal kingdom because Jesus said my kingdom is not of this world. So when we say the kingdom of God, we're not talking about a fiscal territory. No, rather, Jesus tells us, all right, through Paul, he says the kingdom of God is not in meat and drink, it, but is in what? In righteousness, in peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So notice he calls this in righteousness, peace, and what joy where? in the holy ghost so where is the kingdom of god in that sense it is in the holy ghost remember the bible has a lot of figures are you with me a ton of figures if you read the bible literally in every sense you're going to miss so much there are so many figures of speech there are so many things that are not supposed to be taken literally like in their figurative sense that is where the true meaning of them is are you seeing that? So the kingdom of God is in the Holy Ghost. How does that mean? It means that when the Holy Ghost or God is in men, which is God's plan, will I say heaven on earth? That is heaven on earth, God in men. When that happens, that is when we can say the kingdom of God has come. Jesus said the kingdom of God doesn't come with observation. You can't say, Lo, see the kingdom here, see the kingdom there. No, he, actually Jesus said it that the kingdom of God is in you. I think I have done a podcast in the past where I have dealt on this in details. I didn't, these are just things I'm adding to be able to better expand or explain this particular point. Okay, Jesus said the kingdom is in you. So that kingdom he's referring to, that kingdom is not a natural thing. It's actually the spirit of God, the, the reign of the spirit of God in man. So when a person gets born again, he says the kingdom of God is in that person. What does that mean? So when, when um, Jesus here says that we should first seek the kingdom of God. What does that mean? It means that we should be about God's business. We should be about the business of the kingdom, seeking to have God's kingdom in the heart of men. Are you seeing that? Because that is where God wants to dwell. Are you seeing that? All right. So, the gospel is usually an addition to the lives of many believers. The gospel is not a central aspect of the lives of many christians it is something on the side but from that text we are seeing that god is actually saying no that's the problem the problem is that you don't understand that your reason for living has changed second corinthians 5 15 i love quoting that text because it says he died for us this is why he died all right that they who live should henceforth no longer live for themselves Meaning that one thing he came to save us from was from this thing of living for ourselves, of selfish living. But he comes and dies for us that we may both live for him who died and rose again. So as you are now, the reason you are alive, Paul puts it beautifully, he says to live is Christ, to die is gain. There's one reason you are alive. There actually is one reason you are alive right now. 
one meter, not two, not three, not four. The reason you are alive is the gospel. There is nothing else that is worth living for. I mean, some me back to differ, but this is God's perspective. God, the gospel is the reason you are alive. That is your purpose. Are you seeing that? Every other thing just tends to enhance your living on earth, like relationships and all that. But you are going to see that the gospel is also God's love directed towards mankind. And therefore, through the gospel, you are supposed to be an expression, an extension of the love of God to mankind. Are you seeing that? So the gospel is the most important thing there could be. There is no better reason for living. And this is the mindset that needs to adjust in 90-something percent of believers. That the reason I draw breath, alright, is the gospel. There is nothing better. Many people have tried, many believers have tried, they've sought to find another reason for living. But you see, we can't even use this life to judge what is really the reason for living. And, and the reason is simple. One day you will exit this world. One day you will close your eyes. And that is when what truly mattered will dawn on you. One day you will be out of this world. That is when, you know, when you're out of time, when you're out of this reality, that is when you start or, or the true weight of your living, of your experience of living for how many years now dawns on you. What have I lived for? What was the point of all this? What was the point of everything I did? All the things, you, you know, your life, you, you can also look at your whole life, everything from um, the school you went to, the job you did, who you married, the children you had, all the Owan bears and parties you went for, right? All the money you made in your account, all right? Some people have made a ton of money. I mean, it blows my mind that you have someone like uh, Elon Musk who is worth, uh, how much is that? Almost maybe 300 and something billion or 200 and something billion dollars. I, I mean, that amount will blow your mind if you just think of how much one billion dollars is even in naira like it will blow your mind there's somebody has way more of that in his account but the sad part of it is that the day he dies if he still has i'm sure his his valuation will actually just keep climbing let's just say he's worth a trillion dollars by the time he dies that's a man worth a trillion dollars that's an insane amount of money but the day he closes his eyes guess what None of it matters. Not even five naira matters. Not even five copper matters. Nothing. Nothing. Like it's boom. If you had 24 houses, it doesn't matter. Nothing. Like pss, zilch. It doesn't matter. So, can we have that kind of mindset in our everyday lives? That whatever does not matter in eternity should not hold so much value in time. Let me say it again. Whatever does not matter in eternity should not hold so much value for you in time. If this thing, if I wait eternally, I look at this thing eternally, what I'm doing, what I'm pushing for, what I'm killing myself for, I look at it and I compare it to eternity. What matters in eternity? Then it should govern the way I actually behave. It should govern what I do. Many people are not thinking about eternity. They're not thinking. For the unbeliever, many of them are not thinking about what happens after. Which is why when you preach the gospel to them, you should bring it up. <laughs> are you seeing that? You should bring, let them think about it. It will help them, at least a lot of them, to make up their minds about this thing called the gospel. But for the believer, 
our own lives are living, we have to actually reevaluate this and ask these questions. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Because you, you hear so many you hear so many things, you hear so many excuses all the time. And some, I mean, your excuse can be valid except for the fact that um, <laughs> when, you know, that day comes, and we call that day the judgment seat of Christ. Second Corinthians 5 tells us that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Okay? That should be verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether it be good or bad. When you appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the truth is that there's going to be people who are actually going to... When you say, God, I couldn't live for you because my academics, you know, I, be, I, I decided to become a neurosurgeon. And, I mean, I blew how many... Neurosurgeons spent like 16 years. And, and so, you know, for the cause of humanity, I, I could not preach the gospel. I couldn't make disciples. I, I couldn't really give myself, you know, the for the gospel. I couldn't really give... You know, at that point, there's something that's going to happen. And it's that somebody else who decided to tow the path of a neurosurgeon, all right, will actually, like, his own life or story will actually appear. And you're going to see that that person, with all the heavy workload he had, he still preached the gospel. Or you see people that said, you know what, if this thing is going to become the idol by with which, or which will prevent me from the gospel, they quit it. You're going to see people who made some decisions. How do I know what I'm saying? I, am I sure it's not just something that, a myth of Sunday school? Well, let's look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Now, isn't this just funny? This is Christ who has been working miracles all, like, if it's a sign, he has been working miracles all over the place. He had worked so many miracles at this point that it's just crazy to hear this guy saying, we want a sign from you. Not just that, he had been showing them the scriptures. There are scriptures that they believed is from God. Showing them proof from their scriptures that he was the Christ. But then they say, we want a sign from you. These guys are, they're weird. They're very, that is, these people, they're, um, they're hardened hearts. It was just so obvious. Verse 39. You know, there's something called doubt and there's something called unbelief. Doubt is when, I'm not sure, you know, unbelief is in the face of evidence, I hardened my heart and refused to believe. That's unbelief. So see what he says. But he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given to them except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He was talking about the fact that Christ, the sign that will be given to this generation is that Christ was going to rise from the dead. That is, he will die and then he will rise from the dead. And that will be the sign for them. If Since all these other ones refuse to be that, that day will be the ultimate sign for them with which they will be judged. If you don't believe that particular one, they will be judged. He says, 41 the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment in the judgment with this generation and condemn it why because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here so these guys when Jonah came and preached to this guy if you know the story he went to Nineveh all right that was in Assyria he went and preached there Jonah did not work a single miracle Jonah just went and preached and a whole city. In fact, it was so the repentance was so serious that even the animals they put sackcloth on, on even the animals, and the whole city, a wicked city, repented. And there wasn't a single miracle, not one miracle, not one, no supernatural sign. All they heard was the word of the Lord, and they repented. 
But <laughs> today, this one had seen so many miracles and still hardened their hearts. He said, indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. Talking about the fact that he is the fulfillment of the prophecy of the prophets. Verse 42, the queen of the south will rise up. This is actually the queen of Sheba. How do we know that? In the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. So, in this case, the queen of Sheba, she came all the way, all right? The queen of Sheba, I think, was that queen, she was the queen of Ethiopia, Ethiopia, yeah. Came all the way from Africa just to hear Solomon's wisdom. And we're going to see later that these, not in this particular episode, but when the, the wisdom of Solomon, you're going to find out that he actually preached the gospel. These people actually knew of the gospel. And in their, you know, in their iterations, they actually preached the gospel. And so the queen of Sheba came and heard these things. So that means, you know, from this text, we can get the fact that there will be comparisons. Says she will judge this generation. That means if people say that we, we have no, you know, we have no, uh, how do I put it? They are making excuses that, uh, you know, there, there's this reason why I could not. This, there are people that will rise up and say, look, no. <laughs> I was also a medical doctor like you, but see what I did for God. I was a nurse like you, see what I did for God. I was an engineer. I was a full time housewife with you. You only had three children. I had seven, yet I still preached the gospel. I still raised disciples. There will be people like that all over the place. You will think, no, 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 no. You're justifying yourself, Allah. No, no, no. Surely, surely, with this kind of work, with this kind of, you know, we have to put food on the table. You know, we have to build something for ourselves. And I'm not the kind of person that will tell you that it's bad for you to actually go after things and make some money and all that. But when you do it at the expense of the gospel, there's a problem. And this here is the reason, the number one reason, according to scriptures, for people's anxiety because they have set a different standard for themselves. When God and his God and, and his well done is no longer your standard and the world becomes your standard, okay, that is a recipe for anxiety, for worry. And you can see this all over the place. You can see it if, um, for example, you're talking about something like marriage. We have so glorified marriage Marriage has become the gold standard for a woman, okay? And if she's not married, there is wahala. You see lots of women. The, uh, the one that blew my mind is when I, I saw, I think it was a friend or someone who is just, what, 20, barely 19, 20, and is so worried about marriage. And I'm like, what is the matter? What's going on? It's what we've done to ourselves. And, and to show you that this is not a biological thing, it's not biologically wired in women to just worry there are people there are women in in scandinavian countries all right european countries who couldn't care less about marriage that is in fact many of them are not even getting married they are just eloping with one partner or just staying single and using their lives for other things i'm not saying that's the standard i'm saying that that is actually um this pressure is actually programmed this pressure is societal are you seeing that Paul would rather have you not married because he talks about the gospel. He makes a very strong um, basis or case for the gospel that if you don't marry, you can actually do the gospel better. You will not be distracted. Are you seeing that? So that thing you're worrying about, marriage, marriage, you carry the marriage on your head like you're carrying a cooler of jello fries in a party. <laughs> that, that desire can actually, you know, is actually something that's learned. Are you seeing that? But when God becomes your standard, okay, I'm not married yet, but I'm not um, I'm not killing myself. Because this text, 1 Timothy 6, 
all right says now godliness with contentment is great gain all right godliness with contentment is what is great gain so what does that mean it means that i'm not going to kill myself because i've not seen certain things i've not seen certain results i've not gotten married i've not seen the kind of academic results i want i've not seen the kind of money i want i've not gotten land i've not gotten a car i've not gotten this i've not gotten that right things that make you anxious i don't have a phone my my friends have phones and all those things i don't have a phone. those things will not make me anxious like it's going to be a case scenario where okay this thing will be very nice to have if i don't have it i will not kill myself are you seeing that if i don't have it i will because i don't know what does that look like it looks like worry hey you are, you are so consumed with how you don't have that thing you are so consumed with how people see you you are so, so, so consumed with how you look you know in this kind of case and you know you can just let that thing eat you up inside you can just literally be completely gone inside because of how others perceive you or how you feel others you know will see you because you don't have a certain thing or you don't have a job or you are this age and that you've not accomplished this and that and that come <laughs> let me even say something who made it a standard that by so and so age you should be married um, by by so and so maybe by oh by 30 if you're not married by 30 huh you're not married by 30 come on are you serious what does that come on who 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 is it the bible who came up with that all right who, who came up with that ah by 40 as a man if you don't have this or that or that i'd like to ask the question a man like paul you know when we say paul say up ah, you know many people admire paul but they don't want to be like paul <laughs> but meanwhile when paul was talking with king agrippa he preached the gospel to agrippa and agrippa was like i think it was it agrippa or festus and he was like um would you rather are you saying that you want me to be like you? And Paul said, yes, I really would want you to be like me. That is to be saved. He said, except for these chains. What was he saying? He was saying, with all your pomp and your affluence and your wealth, I am better off than you because I have the gospel. Because I believe the gospel. Because the Spirit of God is inside me. That was Paul's metric for, you know, worth or value. He didn't value the man's position. He valued, you know, where he was. He was in chains yet because of the spirit can you actually get your value from the, the fact that you have the spirit of god in you can you actually decide to calm down because god knows your name because god loves you can you stop being hard on yourself because you've not made in quote the progress that you are the one who who or the invisible standard that you have held yourself to or that invisible standard no that standard uh, nobody we, there was not one day when the whole of humanity came out and said that this is the standard you know but it's just invisible it's just there somewhere and you're judging yourself by this standard whether academically you get financially or socially are you, are you with me like even spiritually people do that i mean there could be someone out there listening and maybe you are pastoring or whatever and then you're judging yourself by the metrics of how many members come to your church and all those things it's completely unnecessary. That's the truth. It's completely unnecessary. But whether it's, do I have a baby or I don't have a baby? Do I, those things are unnecessary, actually. They're just worldly standards. They are worldly standards. For me, I'm what you describe as NFA, no future ambition. And when I say that, someone like, oh my goodness, you didn't just say the N-word. The, N, the N-word. You didn't just say that. And I'm not saying that it's bad for you to... Um, have ambition. I'm just saying my own ambition has become 
God's ambition, the Great Commission. That's my ambition. That's actually, if you ask what is your goal in life, where do you see yourself in 20 years? And that's a very, very cute question. For me, where I see myself 20 years or 30 years time is the will of God. Is the will of God. Is whatever the will of God has been re- revealed to me, like what has God has shown me about the next 20 years. That's actually what my own ambition is. And someone said, you're not thinking big. Uh, but you, you are thinking big and you still probably go to hell without your thinking big. And that's the truth. Like you, you are thinking so big. I've said it before that the idea that you will take nothing out of this world is crazy. If you think that way, that you will take nothing out of this world, yeah, you may want to leave something for your family, but the idea that you take nothing out of this world should humble you. It should help you reprioritize and actually look at what's important from the eyes of intent. You should look different and say, no, 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 no. I can't be spending all my time on this. This is not going to be, you know, or it's not going to count for me in eternity. So why should I spend all my time doing this? That's how we should be thinking. That's how we literally should be thinking. Some people are carrying boyfriend on their head or girlfriend on their head, carrying it everywhere. It, it will not count in eternity. It won't count. Ashwabi and Co. will not count in eternity. I think I mentioned an earlier podcast. I said marriage is of the earth. This thing called marriage is earthly. Which is why the church is not the only one that can wed people under God. And <laughs> I'm telling you, marriage is you know you can be you can get married in a shrine and it's valid. That's just the truth. It's the truth. There's no way in the Bible that says that God conferred that on the church. No. Now it's not bad. For me, I got married in the church. It's not bad. Are you seeing that? We just use that to honor the church and 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 co. But it's a natural metric, and that's why once you die, it ends here. So why kill yourself for something that ends here like that? Are you seeing that? In fact, if you're going to get married, it's to glorify God. That is just the truth about marriage. If you get married, it now becomes a tool to glorify God. Let me even say it again. If you, if you, if you make money, if you want to be wealthy, because there's nothing, there's no rule anywhere that said you should be wealthy, or that you must be wealthy. If you're going to be wealthy, it now becomes a tool in the hand of God. Why? Because that's the reason you, you live. To live is Christ to die is gain. He died for that we who live should no longer live for ourselves but for him. So if I live for him, that means everything I do will be for him. If I'm making money, it is for him. You see, this is actually what kills, it it kills this anxiety thing because it just gives you, you know, you follow the leading of God in your life. You, for, yeah, you really follow the leading of God because the, the, the leading of God, you know, when it comes to things like wealth and you are, you, okay, this is why I, I, I want wealth. All right. If you, you, you have that discussion, this is why I want wealth. I want to be wealthy. Why? You see, because the gospel purifies your motives. Why do you want to have wealth? Why do you want to be so wealthy? Is it not crazy that the um, richest people in the world is only like, let's just say they are 5% or 1% of the entire world's population. Uh, maybe they say the billionaires. Well, less than 1%. And these billionaires own, like, they own much more than every other person combined. <laughs> Imagine that. Yet, you, you'll find out that when these people have uh, so much wealth, that wealth ends up controlling them. Many of these will become very wicked. I don't want to go into details. They become very wicked. I'm not saying, see, please, I'm not condemning money. The gospel has to spread, though. So, there's no reason why you should not be wealthy. But you see, it purifies your motive, motives. It's like that rich young ruler that came to Jesus and said, I, I want to, I want eternal life. And he said, so and sell everything you have. The guy couldn't sell everything he had. Why? 
because his, his, his wealth had become his definition. His value was attached to what he had. What he had became who he was. Are you seeing that? God doesn't want that for you. He doesn't want your identity to be around what you have. He doesn't want to get to the point where what you have becomes more important than your identity in Christ Jesus. Are you seeing that? Or when your marriage becomes more important than your Christianity. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. It says, We brought nothing, verse 7, we brought nothing to this world, we carry nothing out. Verse 6 actually says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse 8, And having food and clothing with all these things, we shall be content. Verse 9, it says, But those who desire to be rich now fall into temptation and sin. Now, he is not saying those who want to be wealthy, no. He is actually, look at the context. Verse 6 says, Now, with godly, now godliness with contentment is great gain. So he's talking about those who want to be wealthy without godliness. That is, godliness is not their reason for wealth. The gospel is not their reason for wealth. Their reason for wealth is just from a selfish desire to show them or just to say, I want to have more than enough for you. But that's just still selfish. There has to be a reason. And those who are not content, that means whatever stage they find themselves, they, their driving passion is that they don't want to be, they're not content. They're not, how can, they, how can me at 24 or 28, a whole tech bro, I'm not able to do this. I'm not able to do that. That, that. You know, it drives them. It drives them. Those who desire to be rich, it says they fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful desires which drown men in destruction and depression because they will do anything to get that wealth. They will do anything to achieve that. They will compromise. That is, there's nothing that is, is, is off the table for them. Verse 10, it now says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Are you seeing that? The love of money. When you love, you don't love God, you love things. Money here will stand for other things. Will stand for wealth, fame, power, natural things, marriage, status, position, education, whatever it is that becomes an idol. The love of money, because another thing is that money is a way to achieve all those things. The love of money says the root of all kinds of evil. Are you seeing that? The love of God is the control. It will give you control. It will purify your motives. It says, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greed and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So it's also the path to sorrow. The average person who is uh, who is wealthy cannot even enjoy his wealth. <laughs> <laughs> well let's leave let's leave that so your reason for living cannot be to be rich money is only means it means to an end think of this if my reason for living is the gospel what is the primary purpose of the money i accumulate i won't take it out of this world so it must serve a purpose that contributes to what you know i do take out of this world and newsflash what i take out of this world is my works what are you talking about, you may ask? Verse 13 of Revelation 14. That's Revelation 14, 13. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do for them. Their works do for them. What work is that? What work? Their works will be their contribution to the gospel. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 9 whether therefore we make it our aim whether present or absent to be well pleasing to him for it must all appear before the judgment of christ that each of each may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done that's his works whether good or bad and and in context if you keep on reading you're going to realize that's that 
second Corinthians 5 is then when he gets to 15 he says where is that that's what he says you should no longer live for yourself if you now get to the verse 18 like 19 20 you now realize he's talking about the gospel so you can clearly see you know in this that the works that will follow you is what you have done for god so if that's what will follow you out of this world then that's what your life should be about your life should not be about things I'm not saying it's bad to get like a degree or to desire something like a PhD. There's nothing wrong with all those desires. But you see, what purifies your motives is when God is at the center. You see that? Some things may just may not be God's will for your life. When you have a discussion with him, he lets you know, okay, yes, I want you to pursue that master's and this is why. I want you to pursue the PhD. It's going to help you in this and that and that. He directs your life. And when God directs your life, your anxiety is extremely reduced. Because you see, you're not having to fend for yourself. He is the one who is your father. He is the one who is responsible for you. He is the one who takes care of you. And that is the gospel. That is the benefit of the gospel. The fatherhood of God. So let's consider that for a second or two. Let's imbibe that. What are you anxious about? What are you worried about? Why are you anxious about it or or for it? Why are you worried about it? Nothing has a right to take your peace or your joy from you. Alright? So the Bible says, cast your cares upon him for he cares. Cast your cares on him for he cares. God doesn't want you to have those burdens and those worries, you know, destroy your life. Rather, cast them on him. And then make your life, this is 2020, to make your life about the gospel. Get trained, get discipled, get to a place where you are grown and mature enough to make disciples. And you're going to see the trajectory of your life when you make God the center, the core. Alright? Guys, I think this is a good place to end this. Let me just pray with you. Let me be just someone who is listening to me and is having great anxiety. Uh, Father, in the name of Jesus, I just uh, speak over this person and I command that anxiety to come down. I command that mind to be calm in the name of Jesus. If there's a spirit involved, I rebuke that spirit and I command it to leave that person in the name of Jesus. And right now, I just speak that you find peace. You find peace in God. You find peace in God. You find significance in what God has told you. You find significance in your identity. You find your value and your worth in your identity in Christ. That your God's child becomes enough for you. The things of this world no longer define you. They no longer define what you do. In the name of Jesus, that thing is broken. That desire to live for yourself is destroyed. This moment in the name of Jesus. And a new desire emerges to live for him who died and rose again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Guys, that's it for today. I hope you really enjoyed this podcast. Um, I also hope you're going to share this with someone to give them a reboot, a new way of thinking, a new way of seeing this. That's why we do this podcast is to help people to grow spiritually, to make sound decisions in their lives, such as what we're discussing today. Guys, that's it for today. God bless you. Have a wonderful day and bye-bye. If this blessed you, or you want to say hi, or you have a question, you can head over to my Instagram at pst.essien, pst.essien.